Simmer Down Sports Talk, episode 35. We got a good one. We're going to do some NFL playoff recap once again. Uh, not so great games. Um, they're, they're kind of interesting turn of events uh, with what happened with some of those teams afterwards. And we're going to get to that in a sec. And, of course, we got – we're going from the conference championships to the Pro Bowl. And nobody is going to watch that. Um, it's not even not even a game <laughs> this year. It's, it's, it's on Madden. It's, it's, on, it's on Madden, which is everybody's – quote-unquote favorite game right now and so yeah nobody cares about that so uh, my sunday is totally free <laughs> and also Najee harris's quads are taking over the internet by storm i mean apparently those things are just massive i i never noticed those quads until the senior bowl when you know you see the practice photos going around and you know clips of random random guys doing their work but yeah i i did not I, I don't believe it. I think those were kind of enhanced or something because I feel like if they were, if his quads were really that obnoxious, I would have not noticed them at this point. But because, um, because ever since Saquon came out, I kind of became way more self-conscious of dudes with just refrigerator legs, but I don't know. Najee Harris, apparently he's got them. So that's something to watch folks. <laughs> and uh, Oh yeah. One last thing, the Bengals are getting new uniforms. Let's go. Finally. It's it's been it's been too long. It's been too long. Yeah, it, it is very overdue, but at the same time, that team was just so bad for the last couple of years, especially with Andy Dalton. There's like there's no reason to hype up the Bengals when Andy Dalton and company was still on the team. So I feel like now that they got Joe Burrow, they got a new face, they have actual hope in Cincinnati for once. Now is a good time to get those uniforms going. And, um, yeah, that'll, that'll definitely drive some newfound excitement into the fan base, into that Bengals team. And you know what? We also got some potential players on the move. Bradley Beal, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers also in that discussion. Um, Not to mention Deshaun Watson requesting a trade yesterday. And Deshaun Watson, uh, Watson officially yeah, requesting that trade. And people are talking about him going to the Jets or maybe to the Dolphins. We have yet to see what happens there. But, yeah, definitely very interesting stuff. And the, that being said, though, let's get to our Clown of the Week. And, Finn, why don't you tell us about this Clown of the Week here? Well, it's just the Packers. <laughs> I mean, personally, I wanted to say it was just Kevin King. But then I realized that that might be a little too mean because I wouldn't want to, you know, beat down on a guy who had an awful game. And he really did have an awful game. Also with the worst time jump for an interception I've ever seen in my life on that first touchdown for the uh, Bucks, But yeah, I mean, the Packers just, I mean, as Wikipedia says, you know, they are just routinely the team that gets beaten in the NFC championship every year. Uh, and CEO Mark Mur Murphy came out and said that, you know, we're not idiots when Aaron Rodgers uh, talked about maybe potentially not uh, coming back to the team in the post-game press conference. Um, and I don't know. I just, it just seems like such a weird situation up there. And, you know, to say that we're not idiots when he's talking about Rodgers' future, it just kind of seems a little weird, for the, especially for the fact that they drafted Jordan Love last year. And it just seemed like Matt LaFleur was, you know, just not maximizing Aaron Rodgers' potential in this game. It just seemed like there was too many blown opportunities. It just kind of seemed like he mismanaged the game. And, yeah, that field goal um, on fourth and goal with uh, – two minutes left in the game down eight. I, I didn't understand that call. I think he got to go for it. And then obviously Aaron Rodgers not running the ball there. You know, he said it wasn't his decision, but maybe in that heat of the moment, he wasn't thinking about it, but it looked like from that angle that he was going to make it. So again, it just shows that this is the Packers have been their worst enemy for the last four years. They're very similar to my, and you know, to a saints or even a Steelers in terms of not being able to get in the way of their um, themselves. But yeah, just another typical Packers showing in the NFC championship. I mean, the decision to opt to kick a field goal on fourth and goal with, when you're down eight, you have two minutes, eight seconds left in the game. You might as well go for it. Cause odds are you're not going to, I mean, you can't, you don't want to give it up to that defense when Tampa Bay had been running the football effectively, and that's what they're going to do to run out that clock, just didn't make a ton of sense with Matt LaFleur's decision-making down down the stretch. But, of course, yeah, Kevin King, 
having the worst game maybe of his life after Devontae Adams was hyping him up in the postseason saying he's actually sneaky good. Well, he was sneaky bad <laughs> on over the weekend. And, you know, grabbing Mike Evans' jersey on the crucial third down gave the Bucks an automatic first down into the game. So, yeah, that's and uh, Packers, not a great look. And Packers fans that want to say that wasn't uh, pass interference, yeah, you can argue that it really wasn't. But, I mean, the way that he had hold of his shirt, they're going to call that every time. And they just are. And – at the end of the day, even if that call wasn't made, the Packers did not do enough to win that game. And moving on to just that game in general, I we both said that the Bucs were going to win that game. Uh, I thought they were. You thought they were. And, you know, it was all about getting pressure on Tom Brady, and they couldn't do it. And when they couldn't get pressure on Tom Brady, they allowed him to throw the ball downfield. And then there was just so many blown coverages in defense. I mean, the deep ball, the you know, and a whole of it was Kevin King, which is kind of funny, but – I mean, it was just a, a messy showing for the Packers on defense and the offense wasn't, you know, doing enough to, they were doing enough to, you know, sort of stay one score behind, but they couldn't, you know, take the lead at all in that game. And here we are, Tom's Brady's back in the Super Bowl. Yeah, this is what everybody did not want, but this is what you got. And it's kind of amazing that Green Bay at home, you forced Tom Brady to throw three interceptions if you told me that, just out of context, I would have said Green Bay gets the job done, no question. Let's move on to Super Bowl. But no, that was not the case. And the Bucks pass rush was on full display. Todd Bowles, very similar game plan to the one he had back, I think, in week five when these teams played. Didn't have to change a ton. Aaron Rodgers did get – he was super uncomfortable throughout the game. And Shaq Barrett, three sacks. Jason Pierre-Paul had two as well. And Bruce Arians finally willingly giving Tom Brady credit so Tom is obviously doing something right now. And because, you know, Bruce Arians, he's been kind of a grouch when it comes to giving credit and dishing out that blame, you know. So uh, kind of interesting. But, yeah, the story of the game was obviously Matt LaFleur with that questionable decision at the end of the game, not something that you could have seen coming. And it, it might have cost him. It, 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 I guess it did. Yeah, and, and it leads you to have a lot of questions about Green Bay. And obviously, you know, I think everybody was pretty shocked that they lost. I think most people had them winning. And I mean, this franchise seems to be a little bit up in the air right now, sort of like the saints where, like we said, you know, after the uh, uh, game, Aaron Rodgers wasn't very, you know, assertive on his future. And it makes you kind of think two things, you know, one is his time in green Bay completely over. And is he really the guy that can send you to a Super Bowl? I mean, I think we all agree that he maybe is, for sure the MVP this year, but it just seems like every time they get to the position, he can't get them across. And again, I really don't want to put blame on Aaron because I think he's a great quarterback. And I think that green Bay has definitely squandered their, um, you know, ability to build a roster around him. But at the same time, you got to think, you know, losing to a Buccaneers team that threw three interceptions, you just can't lose. If a team throws three interceptions, you cannot lose that game, especially that if it should be barbecue chicken. It should be, should be exactly. Chicken, it should be man. off the grill, already smoked, you know, eaten type game, but they can't do it. And they routinely can't do it for years on end. And maybe Packers, it's time to say, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't the guy right now. Maybe it's time we move on. And I don't think necessarily a change of scenery could be bad for Aaron Rodgers either. I mean, I think like we said, you know, we got two other quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Deshaun Watson that we'll get to later, but for Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he also has options as well. I mean, you could definitely see him potentially wanting to go back and play for the 49ers, his home, um, his childhood team, you know, maybe even the Raiders or another team out last like the Rams. But it almost seems like this game was just kind of the wrap up to what started as a great relationship and ended pretty badly. Um, and in, in my opinion, I think Aaron Rodgers is in time in Green Bay is limited. His days certainly look numbered, but not because I think he is so fed up with the organization. I think it's more of Green Bay might just be sick of trying to please him. And even though they have not necessarily done the greatest job of doing that, obviously you look at the draft. Um, they, they didn't draft a single wide receiver, which didn't make a ton of sense when the depth behind Devontae Adams was very sus. Yeah, but then and, uh, uh, Marquez, uh, who was it? Uh, Scandling. He came out and played pretty well. And they, FBS, I mean, he played and Adam Lazard well, played pretty well, consistent. and Tunyon played pretty well. Like, I think I didn't want to interrupt, but I think that you know, as much as you're right in the sense that as much as Green Bay 
you know, hasn't done enough. And a lot of people think they haven't. It's also like they have been able to get some production out of those guys. And, you know, whether that not that's Aaron Rodgers simply making them better or it's a little bit of both or it's those guys just simply being good players. I don't know if it's, you know, you, you're right in the sense that the Packers just might be like, is giving you another receiver really going to make the difference? I mean, they only, they struggled, dude, and they only put up 26 points. So you have to think if Green Bay would have just given a look at some an outside player, um, if they would have just drafted a wide receiver or made a midseason acquisition for potentially Will Fuller, because Will Fuller would have been a, in a position of very much pressure. He would have just had been be that deep threat, big play threat for Aaron Rodgers and company. But, yeah, of course, Aaron, he's making the most out of, out of what he has. But at the same time, you just have to think if they had a little bit more of the draft – just helped out and fueled that Super Bowl window a little bit more. You have to wonder if that would have given this team the edge and sent them to the Super Bowl again. I mean, you just you just have to wonder. And Aaron Rodgers, like, you can't make excuses for him all the time. At some point, you're going to have to say, okay, we know Aaron Rodgers is not Mr. Nice Guy. He keeps it real. But every single time something does not go his way, you can visibly see it on the field. He is frustrated. And he is not Mr. Resiliency. He is not Tom Brady. He's not Patrick Mahomes. So you have to wonder, what are the Packers thinking right now? What is your level of tolerance with Aaron Rodgers and the things he is saying? Like, he goes to the postgame press conference, and he says the decision to take the field goal, quote-unquote, wasn't my call. And he immediately throws Matt LaFleur under the bus. And guess what? Aaron Rodgers on the field, he, he was walking off the field just fine. He was not reluctantly walking off the field. He was not staying on the field until the very last second trying to convince Matt LaFleur that we need to go for this here because this is the game. He did not do that. So Aaron Rodgers, it seems like he's just comfortable with where he's at, even though he acts like he's not and he's all talk. And at the end of the day, he's not quite the competitor. He's not as resilient and he's not the leader or the teammate that the Green Bay Packers expect him to be. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's definitely going to, lead to some issues, especially when you have a guy like Jordan Love waiting and, and you know, behind Rodgers, obviously wanting to play. And I think you're right where Green Bay could just kind of be like, you know what? It's, you know, we won a Super Bowl with him. You know, he gave us a lot of great seasons, but it's time to, you know, move on. And, and you know, the next day after the loss, he immediately goes to the front office and asks for a raise. Yeah. He wants to restructure his contract. That's who Aaron Rodgers is. It's not, we need to get to work. We got things. To I finish. want more no, money because everybody else, you know, didn't do enough. Like, and I did enough, but no one else did. You get that vibe from him a little bit, and you wonder if that affects teammates in a negative way, because he does come off as a strange guy, especially even in interviews too. Very standoffish, kind of you know, above the fray a little bit. I don't know. And you know, of course, it yeah. Again, you you like there were some things in this game that did not help Aaron Rodgers. No, David Bakhtiari's left tackle arguably the best pass protecting left tackle in the NFL. Aaron Jones was got hurt earlier in the game. He was not available for majority of the game in that second half. And of course, these are things that don't help Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, you have to think the Green Bay Packers for as long as Aaron Rodgers has been around and as successful as he has been that Matt LaFleur in that front office might just had have had enough with his antics and Maybe Jordan Love, it's his time to shine next season. I don't know. Uh, they they think that he is he he's going to stay. He is not. He is all talk. He is not going to force his way out. He's just frustrated right now. And uh, so maybe they gave him the raise, and maybe maybe they fix some things. Maybe they actually get him a wide receiver for once in the offseason. Who knows? But the Packers are just a couple pieces away. I don't think they have to overreact too. But again, but losing in this fashion is just that that that, that is pretty deflating to say the yeah. least. And with that, we go to the next game. Bills Mafia versus Kansas City. I was really hoping <laughs> this was going to be a closer game, but it was not. And it was pretty clear from the beginning. Well, it was – I mean, the the Bills got lucky because Nicole Hartman dropped that uh, punt and he fumbled it right by their goal line. And then they got a touchdown out of that. But after that, they just kind of went still cold and – Josh Allen didn't play exceptionally well. He had a lot of mistakes. You know, he kind of reverted to the, you know, I'm not going to just fall down and take the sack. I'm going to, you know, run 10 yards backwards and try and throw the ball, you know, Josh Allen, which was not ideal. And yeah, the Chiefs were able to get some good coverage on guys like Stephon Diggs and 
Patrick Mahomes did his thing after the concussion, and then it pretty much was clear by halftime who was going to win that game. Yeah, this game, I mean, the Bills jumped out to that 9 nothing lead, but that was nothing that the Bills were doing necessarily right. This was the Chiefs making mistakes, and that's why Buffalo was able to take the early lead. And eventually you knew the Chiefs were going to catch up with how, how bad Buffalo was struggling. And Josh Allen just wasn't on his A game. And it was, he, we said last week he had to play at his MVP level if Buffalo wants to actually compete and have a chance at pulling off this upset. And that was not the case. Um, he just he looked uncomfortable. I think maybe it was just for just the jitters from playing in the this super high stakes of that game because he hadn't quite been there before. I mean, with the chance to go to the Super Bowl, so yet you, you have to think maybe mentally Josh Allen was just a little nervous, um, and his confidence was a little shaken. But yeah, I mean, Brian Dable versus Eric Bieniemy. I think this is kind of a storyline that nobody even talked about, but. Um, these offensive coordinators got a chance to go up against each other. And, you know, I guess Biennemi pulls this one out. Um, I, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to see where Eric Biennemi stands um, as how qualified of he is, a, is he as a head coaching candidate. And because the narratives around him are apparently Biennemi doesn't interview well. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case because he had a great post uh, press conference interview the other day and when he was talking about the team culture. And I think that swayed a lot of people into not believing that narrative anymore. And the, the other thing working against him is he is not the play caller in Kansas City's offense. And I think that, yes, that is kind of interesting. You have to wonder how much is Biennemi truly responsible for at that point. But still, I think players players are trying to make this like a an issue that I think it's not. And I think it's more just a result of Eric Biennemi is on the, still a member of the Chiefs staff. They are on their way to the Super Bowl. He is focused on that postseason push. He is not worried about head coaching spots right now. And he couldn't get that second interview with other teams as well because Kansas City was still in the playoffs, still competing for that Super Bowl. So I, I think that's the reason why he's not hired right now. But, um, yeah, that was kind of just an interesting little snippet of that game. And um, the thing I didn't like about this game, though, were teams were getting heated as this game went on. And this was – Mostly in the second. It was a little bush league in that fourth I'm, quarter. Um, that fourth quarter got got a little scrappy to say the least. And Chris Jones was was kind of initiating some stuff. He was starting some things, and he even punched Bills' offensive lineman Christian Feliciano in the face when the refs weren't looking. And I get like you're punching the dude in in, in the face mask and the helmet. Like it's not. It's not very smart, honestly. And it's just, it's really a stupid thing. Like, it's kind of a silly concept when you think about it. Like, how effective do you think that punch to the helmet is really going to, is going to be, you know? And, um, but then, and then the Bills' last drive, number 57, Alex Okafor on Kansas City took Josh Allen to the ground after the play had already been whistled dead, after Josh Allen had already been sacked, or at least that's what the refs decided, and they blew the whistle. And Alex Okafor just threw him to the ground. And Josh was not having it. He threw the football at Okafor's face immediately after. And then Okafor, then he got upset. And then he thought he was the victim. Uh, no, that's that's not the case. So I didn't really like the way KC conducted themselves. And the, you have to understand, like, the Bills situation, you know, that you see that scoreboard. You see the time running down. You know your season is about to come to an end. Of course, their players are going to get a little emotional. Uh, and then when you, you have little, little things like Kansas City is doing – that's going to take you off a little bit, but Kansas city, I, I mean, that just did not, they did not represent themselves the way I thought they would. Yeah, it was, a, it was just a weird game at the end and it kind of makes you look at this Kansas city team and go, Ooh, you know, I really don't want to root for Tom Brady, but now they're kind of, you know, also not a team that I really want to root for a ton right now after that kind of performance, especially when you're winning by that much, you know, you got to be able to just kind of let it go and, you know, win the game with, with some sense of dignity and I, I don't think they did that, honestly, on set, Sunday. And we'll see. I mean, I think with that being said, we now got our uh, two Super Bowl teams. And, well, I think we'll probably do a little more of a review next week, probably before the Super Bowl. Um, but, yeah, I think we're excited for this game. And we're definitely going to have a pretty good, uh, good in-depth uh, analysis of it. And I'm looking forward to uh, covering it next week. Yeah, we're going to talk more about the Super Bowl next week. It's just the Pro Bowls this weekend. Super Bowl's not for another week, so no reason to. And we don't care about the that. Pro Bowl, but and yeah, we, we so don't with, care about the Pro Bowl. I don't think anybody's 
folks. So with that, right we now. can do we can do our uh, predictions for. Wait, wait, real, real quick. I think people are not going to be rooting for the Chiefs because of Jackson. Oh. I think that's going to be the deciding factor in this one. <laughs> or, of course, or yes. That being said, wife, because she's uh, also like screaming at the top. They were, they were an annoying combo in that game. If you're a Bills fan, you definitely did not want to watch that. That was just annoying. You, you, you could tell. I mean, definitely, definitely, Mahomes' wife. Uh, she was definitely a little, <laughs> a little tipsy or something, and then she went to social media, and then she thought it'd be the best idea in the world to convince people of her argument <laughs> with Jackson Mahomes in the background doing his thing, and that was not the greatest look. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be hard to root for the Chiefs for sure, especially if I see uh, Jackson Mahomes anywhere in the pregame show. <laughs> he'll be, <laughs> he'll be. Sunday. What if they lose so, the Super Bowl? Do you think he'll still do some TikToks on the field? No, there's no way he's gonna get he's gonna get access. It's They're just, not gonna let him on I mean, the Tampa Bay Tampa Buccaneers are just gonna be like, no, we don't want nope. <laughs> he's gotta do it in the box. I mean <laughs> I mean I hope I hope so. But yeah, that being said, let's talk about Matthew Stafford for a second because he made some headlines and him and the Lions, they decided that it'd be best to part ways before the start of next season. So that means Detroit will be looking to find a trade partner uh, to take Matthew Stafford. Um, And, you know, this one's kind of interesting because they, they obviously fired their coach. So that meant they kind of cleaned house on the coaching staff and his offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel did not get an invite back to the team from Dan Campbell. So he took the offensive coordinator job with the Jags under urban Meyer. And obviously Matthew Stafford, he's not going to go there because the Jags probably have a different plan of action with what they want to do at quarterback obviously and so you have to think who are the best teams for his services and there's a couple teams actually and well there's obviously a lot of teams looking for their new quarterback of the future but I think there's a couple of teams in a great win now situation that would certainly love to have Matthew Stafford and one of those teams is the Denver Broncos and he fits the mold if you know what I'm talking about with what John Elway likes in his quarterbacks but they do have a ton of young talent on offense so I think that would be an interesting pairing and um, so the Denver Broncos, watch out for them. Maybe they make a, make a sneaky play. And John Elway convinces his new GM that this is the direction they need to go. Um, and then you have the Indianapolis Colts, who are not too far south from Maddie. Plenty of great pieces already in place, obviously. And maybe they're a quarterback away, just like Tampa Bay was last year. And now kind of what you're seeing with Tom Brady coming in. Now, I'm not saying Matthew Stafford is Tom Brady, but, man, he's going to make the Colts a lot more dangerous with his elite play at the helm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting too because you think of all these teams already that you've even said. I mean, all you wonder if Matthew Stafford will go to one of these teams and win a Super Bowl or something like that and prove that like Detroit is just the worst franchise ever created because they just couldn't do anything with them. I mean, it just seems where quarterbacks go to die. But where I want to see him go is the 49ers because I think I think everybody can agree that Kyle Shanahan and Matthew Stafford would be a great pairing, especially with all the uh, weapons that they have on the offensive side of the ball. And it also helps that they have a fantastic defense when healthy. So you'd have to think that the 49ers would probably be the best situation, the best win now type of place to go to outside of maybe the Colts. And then you have the New England Patriots, but you're not so high on that simply just because there's not much there. They, they basically have no receivers. It's almost seems like a worse situation than what Detroit was. Um, and funny enough, too, to add on is that any of these places could also trade for Deshaun Watson. I mean, I know the Jets have been linked to it, and that's been where that's been uh, Deshaun's number one location. And I know the Carolina Panthers have also been interested as well. But yeah, it just seems like it, there's going to be two teams this offseason that are going to be getting a quarterback through a trade that potentially could take them to a Super Bowl because they just simply were on a bad team and they haven't had a great defense, you know, and they haven't had a a bevy of offensive weapons. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Jets are totally in that conversation. I believe the Jets were on his list of preferred teams, right? Or am I getting that mixed up? I know Deshaun had it as his priority. I don't know if Matthew Stafford did. I've also heard there's rumors that the Cowboys have been interested because you could also look at the Cowboys and go, okay, maybe Jerry Jones goes, you know, I don't want to risk playing Dak another year and having to give him a contract, even though – 
he was injured and it wasn't really fair. So would you know, would you rather trade Dak Prescott to a team like Detroit and then, you know, take Matthew Stafford or, and then not have to pay Dak Prescott. I mean, that's definitely an option for the Cowboys as well. And you could even make the argument that a team like the Raiders could definitely be involved with either of these two players too. If, because if I'm the Raiders right now and I'm Mike Maycock, I have to think that I think Derek Carr's a great quarterback, but there's definitely somebody out there that's significantly better. But there's so many teams that could, uh, could, yeah, could they, take any of the, any of those two guys and even maybe Aaron Rodgers too. Because if I'm the Rams as well, I would think, I mean, imagine that Ram offense with someone like Matthew Stafford and Sean McFay together. That's a, a significant upgrade over Jared no, Goff. Yeah, you have to think the Rams – are somewhat in this discussion, but at the same time, they've paid so many players that they're fresh off that Jalen Ramsey trade. So I don't think they have the, the, the financial means to complete that deal, nor do they have the, the capital necessary to, for, to even spark Detroit's interest. So I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to imagine the Rams would be able to pull that off, but yes, the team I absolutely want to see Matthew Stafford on next season would be the San Francisco 49ers because now he would be with a competent organization. They know what they're doing. They have an identity and you insert in a great quarterback, who I think is certainly an upgrade over Jimmy G and Matthew Stafford. And it would be interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan, um, d- what he does with him. And because they have a ton of talent on both sides of the football and um, it, it's, it's a run first offense too. So it would take a lot of pressure off Matthew Stafford as well. Um, so yeah, the San Francisco 49ers would be way more interesting than ever before with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, it's going to definitely be exciting if they get him. And again, even Deshaun Watson on the 49ers would be a, a really, really fascinating thing to see. Um, but it seems like Matthew Stafford fits that system just a little bit better. Um, and again, we've seen Matthew Stafford do things with the football that if, if Patrick Mahomes did, everybody's you know jaws would be on the floor. So I really think that if you get him in the right situation, that he definitely can take a team deep into the playoffs. Because um, he's really just had nothing outside of Megatron for a while and a few other guys on that offensive uh, side of the ball for Detroit. And they've never been able to really build around him. And a lot of people in the NFL really do think that that's not Matthew Stafford's fault, but mostly more due to the management of the team and, you know, just the awful hirings that they've had over the past few years. So I'm excited to see Matthew Stafford get a fresh start. Yeah, I mean, being stuck in the in the shadow of, Detroit's legacy of failure ways. I mean, it'd be so it'd be so nice to see him get out instead of trying to keep him around for this rebuild. And I wonder if somebody had to tell him like, "Hey, Detroit is going into rebuild mode. It, it is not good for you in your career to stay in Detroit." I mean, I, I he seemed like he was really committed. Like he had the Bradley Beal uh, mindset where he wanted to stay and try to make it work. I don't think that's gonna work. Um, so I think uh, I I'm sure his agent must have said something to him then, <laughs> and you know. But, been like, hey, dude, you, you got to get out of Detroit. Yeah. We're going to force a way out. <laughs> um, but, of course, that being said, let's move on to the last segment of this show, my 2021 NFL Mock Draft 2.0. Jake's second mock draft. This is not mine, by the way, and I'm, re- I'm reading this, and it's making me feel upset because I have done the first 10 picks of mine. But, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm waiting for the season to end. You know, I'm not procrastinating. I'm just being smarter and more efficient. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't know if it's more efficient. I I, I don't know if it, that's it's the not term. time. I think you're you're you. He he doesn't have enough time, but yeah. I barely had a little more time, so I was able to complete one right after. <laughs> I mean, right before his. So yeah, I'm calling this my postseason. Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking through this, and so, I'm like, wow, yeah, there's get, some there's some hot it. takes here. Hot takes. So, number one, Jaguars, we got Trev. We all know it's going to be Trevor. Yep. And then number two, we got the Jets, and we got Zach Wilson. Um, so, that's an interesting one right there. And then my uh, number three, we got the Miami Dolphins taking Penny Sewell from Oregon. Number four, we got the Atlanta Falcons taking Trey Lance from North Dakota State. And then number five, we got the Bengals taking Jamar Chase. So, I, I, I agree with – Four out of five of these picks. I don't. I, I. I don't see the Falcons taking the risk of Trey Lance when you have the Georgia, you know, native uh, Justin Fields there as well. And I think as much as you have issues with Justin Fields, and I do as well, 
I'm going to take the guy who performed well against Clemson and who has performed well in the Big Ten for two years and has performed on you know the grand stage in college football versus the guy that played one game this year. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's going to come down to a matter of preference. I think both could be a great fit for what Arthur Smith wants to do in that new offense. It's going to be run first. So whoever it is, it'll take the pressure off that quarterback. But I think this is a perfect situation for whoever goes here. I like Trey Lance a little bit more. So this is based off my big board. So I would think the Falcons would take Trey Lance here then. Uh, And I think this is a great situation because he will get to sit behind Matt Ryan for a year and then eventually probably take over, I'm guessing, in 2022. So this would be a great thing for the Falcons yeah, to look forward it to. It definitely is going to be interesting. And then obviously Jamar Chase to the Bengals. You know, it sucks that they won't be able to get uh, Panay Sewell being at that fifth pick unless Miami somehow trades for Deshaun Watson or something crazy happens. But Jamar Chase is not a bad uh, alternative, especially linking him back up with his uh, co-partner in college football, Joe Burrow. No, yeah, and this this mock draft is not about perfect fits because if that was the case, if I was trying to force guys to fall into perfect slots, then yes, Penny Sewell would be falling to the Bengals at five. But I don't think the Dolphins could pass up that kind of value. And as intriguing as elite, as athletic and lengthy of a prospect that Penny Sewell is at that positional value, um, having the top three a top three pick, and so then the Bengals get a nice consolation prize in Jamar Chase. You reunite him with Joe Burrow. They already have that chemistry. So you don't have to worry about developing that next season. And I don't know, owner Paul Brown, he might feel a little bit generous this time around. And uh, Joey B might lobby for his number one wide receiver at LSU after he got mauled against Washington. So Paul Brown might feel a little, uh, a little sympathetic for him. Yeah. And, you know, well, we will definitely here. see, but that is a very, very interesting pick. And I think that Joe Burrow would appreciate that a lot. Although at the same time, I also think he would appreciate an offensive line, but to the next five, we got at number six, the Eagles taking Devontae Smith. So that's an interesting one, Smitty to the Eagles, even after they drafted Jalen Rager. And then number seven, we got the Detroit Lions taking Justin Fields. And then at number eight, we got the Carolina Panthers taking Kyle Pitts. Number nine, we got the Broncos taking Micah Parsons. And then we got the Cowgirls, Cow- Cowboys, sorry, um, at <laughs> – Number 10, taking Rashawn Slater. And, uh, wow, this is definitely interesting from the last one we went over. (laughs) You know, Smitty at six, I think a lot of people would maybe make the argument that the Bengals might fall in love with uh, Smitty in in the combine and, you know, pre-draft workouts. Obviously, the combine is a little different this year. But, you know, obviously, Jamar Chase being Joe Burrow's teammate, I think that that would cab them, you know, that would be the edge. But I think the Eagles could do – a lot of good things with Smitty on their roster, especially the fact that, you know, he's played with Jalen Hurts before, which is definitely a good thing. And then when you look, obviously, at the Lions taking Justin Fields, I obviously think Stafford not being back, that's a clear possibility. I don't know if that's the best situation for a quarterback, but, you know, it is what it is. And then I I really like Kyle Pitts to the Panthers. I think if they can add him to that team, I think it would give them a little bit more um, – dynamic ability down the, uh, down the field, you know, throwing the ball. I mean, Robbie Anderson was great, but outside of that, you know, it wasn't an amazing core. And then the last two picks, obviously, I think the Broncos could definitely use help on defense. Uh, you know, there's a possibility they could take a quarterback, but we all know that Elway, even though he's not in charge anymore, probably won't want to do that this year and probably give Drew Luck another shot. And then obviously the Cowboys taking offensive line makes sense due to them, you know, having a huge decline in the play in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, so here's my reasoning going to the Eagles taking Devontae Smith. So defensive prospects would be the best value here, and they have a ton of needs on defense as well. But I think when you look at what the Eagles just went through this past season, Howie Roseman is going to be feeling the pressure from his, the owner. So I think he's going to feel that he has to take Devontae Smith because he's going to have to get the guy that makes the quickest impact right away. And I think, and I'm not a big fan of taking wide receivers in, in the top 10. Um, I think there's just so many of them now in the, with that we've seen in the last two years that you can get away with getting a very good uh, player, a starter even in the second and third rounds. But I think Howie Roseman, he's just going to be feeling the pressure and he's going to feel like he has to make this move. So that's why I got Devontae Smith going to the Eagles at six. And Justin Fields, this is just the way the board shakes out for Detroit. Obviously, this is a big win for them. 
if they get one of these elite quarterbacks and Justin Fields is going to fall to them. Um, that's just how I see it happening right now. And uh, I'm not sure if this is the best situation for Justin Fields, but this is the best thing for Detroit. And that's for sure. And you look at the Panthers getting Kyle Pitts, man, I, I wouldn't rule out, you know, oh. I wouldn't rule out Carolina trading up for a quarterback. Nice job. Words, I wouldn't words. rule out that, but if they miss, if they, if they miss out on the top four quarterbacks, cause I have four quarterbacks who are in the top seven picks, then this is going to be a fantastic consolation prize to keep to trying to entice Joe Brady to stay around a few more years and work with their offense. So yeah, I think that could be a really good fit. And then Micah Parsons going to the Broncos. Broncos just go best player available, and they haven't had a great linebacker in quite some time. So building back up that defense, Vic Fangio might want to get a guy like him for his defense. And then at number 10, the Cowboys, this is just a perfect fit. Best case scenario, Slater falls, because I don't know if the Bengals are going to like Slater at number five with Penny Sewell off the board. So this is, this was a great need. And if Slater doesn't replace Tyron Smith right away at left tackle, then the Cowboys can put him inside at guard where Slater is also comfortable. So I think yeah, that's a and I'm definitely forward. excited to see, in many ways, you could almost argue that the, the the top five is not as interesting as that as that bottom half of the top ten in terms of like what teams could go with because it's just a lot more up in the air. I mean, obviously, you know, the Jets would obviously – we're not sure who they're going to take at QB and obviously the Falcons as well, but there's so much that could happen in those uh, picks from a six to ten. And then looking at picks 11 through 15, we got the Giants taking Patrick Sertain. Um, we got the 49ers taking Caleb Ferry, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. Uh, we got the Chargers taking Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive tackle from USC. We got the Vikings taking Gregory Rousseau from Miami. And we got the Pats taking Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa from Notre Dame. And uh, these all kind of seem like pretty straightforward picks for the most part. The Giants could definitely use some more help on defense and knowing Gettleman. He's probably not going to go for a receiver. Personally, I think they should here. I think it's been too long at this point. Um, I think they haven't drafted a receiver since Odell in the first round. And I think you need to get a receiver there that's good in order to figure out whether or not Daniel Jones is the guy. Um, but, but man, man, hey, fit if you have – Exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. Board, and and you can make the argument here that, that if hit? Olave was in there, you could be like, okay, maybe Olave – but he's not, you know, maybe you can make the argument for Rashad Bateman, but I kind of think that's a little too high. So I get where the Giants are in terms of kind of being a little too high to take a, you know, a risk on a receiver and also a little too low to get, you know, the two clear cut number ones in this class. You can make the argument that maybe they go Jalen Waddle, but I would prefer probably in this case, even then I would maybe say that, you know, Sertain would be the better pick, but I think the Giants would do well with that. I think that's fine. I think, you know, they need help on defense, but yeah, I mean, these are all pretty, this seems pretty much straightforward. I mean, every team here is basically filling a need that they, you know, that they really need. I mean, I don't know. What do you think of the chargers? Do you think maybe if Kyle Pitts is still on the board here, they go for him? Do you think that they maybe take a risk on a guy like Kadarius Tony, or do you think they just go straight offensive tackle and, you know, build out line more for Herbert? Well, the chargers are going to be, hoping that Rayshon Slater, I think, falls to this pick because of his versatility. If he doesn't work out at tackle, you can always move him into inside a guard because he's got elite tape at tackle and guard. But, I mean, in this scenario, with, with the top DBs off the board, top wide receivers off the board, Kyle Pitts not an option anymore, I think they have to go Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, you could I could see them going edge as well. There's still Roussel, Quiddy Pay. Those are fine options, to say the least. Um, so, so they might want to go that direction, especially with Brandon Staley might give the edge to a defensive prospect. So I, I wouldn't be surprised in that regard, but Elijah Vera Tucker just seems to make a lot of sense that they, I'm sure they've seen a lot of tape on him because he's right there in LA. Um, so I don't know. I, I just see, that's what I thought the Chargers would do because Tom Chalesco has neglected. Yeah. The and I also really like so that long. Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa pick to the Patriots. He kind of just kind of, it just seems like he fits that type of mold that they want in a linebacker. Uh, and his tape in college is fantastic. So I think he'll fit perfectly in Belichick's defensive system. But uh... yeah, I think, I, I think he perfectly represents what it means to be a Patriot. And I, I think Belichick's wouldn't hesitate to submit that. card. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for the, the Patriots to go, you know what, we're going to try and build the defense first 
And I think a lot of people, especially after the Bucs winning this week, they're going to write off Belichick as being a, you know, a coach that was lucky enough to have the best quarterback of all time. But I think people should be worried about that because Belichick has a few tricks up his sleeve. He always does. And So real quick, a lot of people are trying to mock Jalen Waddle to the Giants at number 11 and Mac Jones to the Patriots at number 15. I just don't see those guys being worth those picks. I mean, Jalen Waddle, I think he left a lot to be desired, and I wish he'd be coming back to Alabama and because I just haven't seen him really run the, the entire route tree and be able to control his speed uh, enough on tape. So that's why I struggle with Jalen Waddle in the top half of the first round. And Mac Jones, I just feel like he was untested all year. I'm not sure there's a single defense that actually challenged him. And that kind of worries me. I, I, so, and he, Alabama had so many other reliable options. They had Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle in the early part of the season. And sometimes the defense was just so dominant that it made things so much easier for Mac Jones, took the pressure off. So I have a hard time with Mac Jones being considered as a first round pick. Yeah. And some people will make the argument that, you know, Joe Burrow was in the same situation last year, but you can also say at the same time, Mac Jones did not play Texas on the road. He did not have to play, you know, even Alabama on the road, which is, you know, is a, is a really daunting task. And I think you're right in a way where he's almost kind of a suffering from success, as we would say, from the great words of Rick Ross. And it seems like he never was really able to play a defense that was going to give him any pressure. And we talked about it before that playoff game. I was like, what if Ohio State can get pressure on Mac Jones? Nobody has all year. If they get pressure on him, will that make a difference? And even then, we didn't get to see. So, well, well, guess what? Ohio State, half of their starting defensive line got ruled out like an hour or two before. Yeah, it was it, Ohio State did kind so of get screwed really that level. But, I mean, yeah, I think you could maybe see a guy like Belichick going for Mac Jones. But I also think as much as we love to rip on Belichick, especially for Brady being in the Super Bowl right now, I think he's still one of the better coaches in the league, if not one of the best. And I definitely think he has a few tricks up his sleeves. And I think he knows what's going to make this football team tick. And I think he knows as well that building a defense first – always tends to be the easier route of getting to the playoffs and becoming a, a competitive team um, rather than building the offense first, because it's, I think it really goes underestimated in the, in the NFL of how important it is to build a defense first, because then that allows you to have the ability to go and grab a quarterback can, that can then, you know, push the team over. Because I think we've seen, even with teams like the bears, you can have a great defense, but you need a quarterback, but I think Belichick knows what he's doing. Yeah, and real quick, I'm not trying to bag on Mac Jones, but here's an interesting stat for you that compares the success of Joe Burrow to Mac Jones. Tight, you look at tight window throws, according to PFF. So in 2019, Joe Burrow made 124 tight window throws. That's a lot of throws, all right? A lot of impressive stuff. Yikes. Mac Jones, he only made 44. So that's 80 throws less. And Mac Jones played a full slate of SEC games, 10 games against SEC competition. Oh, actually 11 when you count the conference championship. And then those semifinal games. He so I don't think Matt Jones is really challenged. I really don't, and we didn't get to see him get pressured. So again, that's just why I struggle with Matt Jones uh, and the lack of mobility. His athleticism. Guys also aren't going to be wide open downfield because defenses know how to play Sarkeesian type football in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, you're not going to have a guy wide open like that every, exactly. Yeah. You know, every play, <laughs> um, but. Eventually, they're gonna they're gonna be able to figure out. What I, I think so as well. And moving on from that, now we got the next five picks. And so at sixteen, we got the Cardinals taking cornerback uh, J.C. Horn from South Carolina. We got the Raiders taking edge rusher Quiddy Payne for from Michigan. And then we got the Dolphins at eighteen taking Zayvon Collins from Tulsa. And at nineteen, we got the Washington Football Team taking Kadarius Tony from Florida. And then the Bears at twenty are taking Sam Cosme from Texas. And Again, this seems to kind of be a series of five picks where every team is kind of taking some sort of need. I would say that the Dolphins drafting Zayvon Collins is an interesting one to me because it seems like they have more pressing needs on the offensive side of the ball, especially at receiver. And I think they're at that eight, you know, that number 18 pick where they could take a chance on a guy like Kadarius Toney or a guy like even Jalen Waddle. But I really do like your uh, Kadarius uh, Tony pick at number 19. This guy is really under the radar. He's been lighting it up in the senior bowl with his routes lately. Uh, he had that real one that sort of kind of went um, viral on the internet where he dropped the ball after, but I don't think that one drop should um, 
really determine anything at all, especially for the fact that Tony had zero drops at Florida this year. And he really is potentially one of the more, if not most dynamic players to come out of college in a few years. I mean, the guy is electric and anybody that watched the Florida game this year knows that. And yeah, Kadarius Tony is one of the most interesting players in this draft. I could see him going as high as 16 of the Cardinals. Uh, I could see if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury just making a selfish I, decision and say, it makes hey, sense. I want that guy because uh, what, what he brings to the table, what he brings to the table is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, this, he, he can juke. Yeah, out you almost kind of hope, though, that maybe he falls like later in the draft. I mean, he's the type of guy I think everybody that loves football just wants to see go to a very smart offensive football team. You know, like you want that guy to be somewhere with a coach that's just going to know what to do with him and just make him such a dangerous threat. And I even think the Washington football team is not a terrible place for that. Um, you know, it, the offense was obviously not great at times, but it definitely wasn't awful when Alex Smith was playing or even when Taylor Henneke was playing. So adding a guy like Tony could definitely make a difference. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Raiders taking another edge rusher is kind of hilarious, but it's the Raiders and it's Mike Maycock. So we know whatever the Raiders should do, they're going to do the complete opposite of, of that. So I understand that as well. <laughs> no, are, no, are I'm not saying Maycock, Maycock on purpose. It was that the idea. It just came out like that on accident. Mayock. It's not as well, fun saying Mayock. It's more fun to say. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be hilarious if the if the Raiders went wide receiver again? So they took Rugs last year, and then they they went like Kadarius Tony. I mean, even that Rugs, like, even that Rugs I mean, pick. I think everybody loves time, it, but at the same time, you know, he the question is still out there to whether or not he's a wide receiver one, especially when you have guys like Justin Jefferson playing a lot better than him, who were drafted well before him. So. Yeah, I don't know what the Raiders will do. I mean, you could even say maybe they'll go quarterback. I, it's possible that someone like John Gruden just falls in love with the Mac Jones. You know, it, we know we know that Gruden is a quarterback guy, uh, and so we know that there's a very good possibility. And I've thought this for years now that he was going to fall in love with one of these prospects. And at some point, I feel like the Raiders got to be smarter and just go. You know what? We need to just get the QB that Gruden thinks is the guy. But. I understand why they might not want to do that just yet. Yeah, and, and this pick at number 18 with the Miami Dolphins, I think getting Zayvon Collins is an, is a huge win for them. I think that's a steal because Zayvon Collins, he's 6'4", 260, and he is great at dropping in the coverage. I mean, he's, he's tremendous in the pass defense. Um, he, he can explode through holes to get to the quarterback too. He's great off the blitz. Um, and, and he, he showed off his hands. He had plenty of highlight reel interceptions as a linebacker at that size. I mean, if you could just work on his instincts a little bit and for that run game and taking a little better angles here and there, I think this cements, uh, Miami's defense, defensive status. And he played as, really well against Cincinnati in that, in uh, uh, American cha uh, conference championship game too. So definitely like a, uh, a lot from him, especially what I saw this year and moving on to. 21 through 25, we got the Colts taking offensive tackle Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. We got the tight, Titans taking edge rusher Patrick Jones from Pitt. We got the Jets taking edge rusher Jason Owe from Penn State. We got the Steelers taking quarterback Kyle Trask from Florida. And we got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Trayvon Morey from TCU. So things get a little interesting here, I see. Um, obviously, I think the Colts could definitely use an offensive tackle, especially if they get Matthew Stafford or for some reason, Andrew Luck comes back, which has come up a little bit some, some well, somehow, some way, but um, yeah, the rest of these picks, I like Patrick Jones to the, uh, the Tennessee Titans. He was one of the top um, sackers in the college football this year. So I think that's definitely a good pick for them. Uh, and wow. Kyle Trask to the Steelers over Mac Jones as well. See, this is where I think it becomes difficult, right? Because you have to look at Kyle Trask and go, okay, he played awful in that ball game without his entire starting offense, which you, but at the same time, he played awful. But it's clear that he has immense talent and can do a lot. And I also think it's really interesting for the fact that the Steelers also brought in Dwayne Haskins. So maybe the Steelers here say, you know what, we need to go running back, which they definitely could do. But I think we both agree that there's not a ton of 
I mean, outside of Najee Harris and maybe uh, Travis Etienne, I don't know if any of the running backs this year are going to be first round picks. But yeah, Kyle Trash, you got to explain that one to me. Uh, Kyle Trask. So I thought he honestly played extremely well. He he was in the Heisman discussion for a reason for majority of the season. He was playing at uh, a, a ridiculous rate. Um, I mean, I thought he his ball placement was a thing of beauty. I mean, he was rolling left and throwing putting uh, ridiculous amounts of touch on throws. And I'd like to see how many tight window throws he had because he put that uh, trait on full display throughout the season. I thought, and I thought he was super consistent. And he almost knocked off Alabama. If he had a defense, we would be talking about Kyle Trask in a much different light because Florida would have likely knocked off Alabama this year. And we, we, we the this whole Kyle Trash discussion wouldn't be a thing. But, uh, yeah, and he, he didn't have a great showing at the bowl game at Oklahoma, but he was missing a lot of talent. And uh, But people were, were just very quick to criticize him. I don't think that's – that, that's right, and I think he's a better prospect than Mac Jones. I don't think he's that much better, but I think he is more consistent, and I thought he demonstrated a better ability of using his touch uh, to make those tight window throws that I didn't see enough of with Mac Jones, and he's more mobile. Yeah, it's Mac definitely Jones. an interesting pick, well. but I think that he fits a lot of what the Steelers want out of a quarterback, and he does have a lot of sort of big Ben traits that you kind of see out of him, the way he's pretty – you know, stable in the pocket, but also has the ability to run. So yeah, that's definitely an interesting pick. And it would be, I think the Steelers are a team that again, no one really knows what they're going to do, especially after this year. Um, but um, re- Real quick, the Titans pick as well, Patrick Jones, the edge rusher out of pit. I think this might be the most yeah. underrated player in this draft class. Cause he is not in a lot of first round uh, mock drafts that you're seeing right now online. I think that's a mistake. I think he is for sure a first-round pick. I am ready to put him to, – to label him as a first-round lock. It's just a matter of where he goes because he plays so violent, and he is a, he is a great athlete. And Especially on the Titans, too, where they already have a lot of good of pieces on player. defense. But maybe that's – well, hopefully you know who Jadavion Clowney plays up to his potential, but who knows? I think bringing Patrick Jones in, you might find out that you got a better edge rusher that you got this year. But – uh <laughs> no, they're, they're not bringing Jadavian back. That would that would that sign no. did not work out at yeah. all the way they. And uh, so moving on they, to they, they twenty six through thirty, we got the Browns taking linebacker Chaz Surratt from UNC. We got the Ravens taking Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU. We got the Saints taking Jalen Waddle from Alabama. We got the Packers taking Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia, and we got the Bills at thirty taking Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. And should we just finish off the last two? We got the. Bucks taking Alex Leverwood um, from Alabama offensive tackle. And then we got the Chiefs taking Rashad Bateman um, from Minnesota with the last pick. Uh, some really interesting picks here. I, I think Terrence Marshall, I think to the Ravens, I think a lot of people are surprised by that. But, you know, I know you watched a lot of SEC football, particularly LSU games, even though they weren't playing too great throughout the year. Um, and this guy was really fun to watch. And he, you know, obviously – didn't get a lot of attention due to LSU simply just not being that good. Um, but I think the Ravens would be finally getting a potentially wide receiver one with him. And I think the Saints getting Jalen Waddell is really interesting, especially for them bringing back uh, Jameis Winston. I, I think we could see something fun kind of um, down in New Orleans this year and maybe even make the fan base a little more, less sufferable than they are. Uh, <laughs> and then – yeah, I think I think the rest of these picks are pretty straightforward. Obviously, the Bucks <laughs> would love to continue to build up the offensive line, especially if Brady's back. I think the Chiefs only get better with someone like Rashad Bateman, and they have the capacity and ability to just kind of take whoever they want. And yeah, the Packers get taking another cornerback. That seems typical, not giving Rodgers any help in the first round. And the Buffalo Bills taking a guard is interesting to me because it's so clear that they need help at linebacker. But um yeah, yeah. Why don't you go through some of your favorite picks out of these? Uh, so, yeah, I think, first of all, number 27, the Baltimore Ravens getting Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall, I think, has a very good chance to sneak up in the first round. I mean, because this guy's a complete player, 6'4", 200, fluid athlete, um, consistent tape. And I think he, he is going to provide that bigger-bodied athlete with a large catch radius that Lamar Jackson will need to succeed in the NFL. And take the next step as a passer. So I think that fills a huge need for, for Baltimore. 
And at 28 with the, with the Saints taking Jalen Waddle, I mean, this is going to be a great value for them, first of all. And I think he has a very good chance of falling because of the limited tape and the injury didn't help his cause either. And the Saints desperately needed to add a deep threat last season to compliment, compliment Michael Thomas. They did not do that. And I think this year um, is going to be a, I think this year was a huge wake up call after seeing Drew Brees go out the way he did and the, the offense being as stale as it was. So I think Jalen Waddle would bring a whole other element to Saints, and maybe they can finally <laughs> go back to being Huda Nation instead of Blue Dat Nation. <laughs> and and real, uh, the Packers at twenty nine taking Tyson Campbell. I I really love this pick. Tyson Campbell also has very consistent tape. There was only a handful of times that he was maybe on the wrong side of a play or gave up a big play. Um, I thought he was. I loved his physicality at Georgia, and um, Kevin King almost near single handedly cost the Packers the game versus Tampa Bay. And the overall lack of depth behind Jared Alexander uh, makes Green Bay take one of the top available corners on the board, and he is much yeah, less it, likely to get mossed because of especially his after with, after how Kevin King played. I think they definitely need to get another cornerback. But also, you could you could argue that they need a wide receiver, and I think a guy like Rashad Bateman could to. be interesting in that <laughs> offense. Um, and especially if Jalen Waddle falls one well, pick, so here, here's what's so you have to think that, mind. okay, you add Jalen Waddle to a team like the Green Bay Packers, that gives the deep ball threat that Rodgers has needed. And you have teams that are going to have to play Devontae Adams in double coverage or at least, you know, put more emphasis on him. And that allows a guy like Jalen Waddle to run loose. So that could potentially be an interesting combination too. Especially if you need to get Rodgers to come back to Green Bay. I mean, that's, that's what makes it. What, what yeah. makes my mock draft <laughs> so great is I try to predict what teams are actually going to do. And we've been saying the Packers have needed a wide receiver forever, and they didn't do that last season. What's going to make them think they want to do that this year? I mean, not too much is going to change, I think, with their philosophy. They're still going to be a run-first offense at the end of the day, run through Aaron Jones and that offensive line. And I would love to see Rondell Moore go here with Jalen Waddle off the board. I think that would be a great fit, and that gives them that deep threat, um, gives them – an opportunity to take attention away from Devonte Adams, uh, but I, I that's just not what the Packers are going to do. They, yeah. They've shown that well, they will not. Another mock draft in the draft. books, and mine still hasn't come yet. So, but who needs mine when we got this unbelievable one by Jake? You know, that's how I see it now. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think I I made this very interesting for the fans, and especially that Chiefs pick too, getting finally getting a big body wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes and. Uh, that's just going to be another weapon to add to the embarrassment of riches that they have. But yeah, I try to make these interesting um, at the same time. Also realistic. I have my own custom big board. So people are always going to disagree with me on where, where on my take on certain players like Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle um, and guys like that. Um, no running backs in this mock draft either. That, that was kind of interesting. I really wanted to get Javante Williams out of North Carolina in there somewhere, but when I was going through this, it just didn't feel right. Um, I feel like those teams were going to address other needs. So it, it didn't happen. So yeah, no, um, maybe I'll put it. Yeah. Back next and time. I had a lot of fun we'll commentating. Yeah, I, I had well. a lot of fun doing this. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I mean, the only not, pick not here that I would really today. like, again, I, I think the Steelers were really surprised. fascinating to me because I could easily see them where, as you were saying, you didn't have a running back here. I could easily see them drafting uh, Najee Harris at number 24. Uh, it's possible they're in a bad situation, yeah. Well, the Steelers are kind of in a bad situation. The Steelers have they, they they have an aging offensive line, and they really do need help, especially at the interior. And uh, I don't know if there's an offensive lineman worth taking there for them. And at the same time, a running back isn't going to fix how bad that offensive line is right now, and it's not going to fix a running game. So I don't think Najee Harris. Yeah. Well, or with that being said, that. that's episode thirty-five in the books. Yep, that is episode 35 in the books indeed. Next week, we're going to be able to talk about the Super Bowl. Looking forward to that game. Ooh, um, actually, yeah, we're going to be yeah doing our Super Bowl preview, and uh, we're going to make our picks there. I, I don't know who to take in that game, honestly, but uh, that's going to be very exciting to try to predict, um, you know, just Tom Brady versus the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Both seem super resilient, but yeah, we'll, we'll see who wins that, that one. And yeah, that being said, that's going to do it today for us. Go ahead, follow us on the social media accounts, of course, at SD Sports Talk on Instagram and at SD Sports Talk underscore on Twitter. 
he posts a lot of great stuff there. And you know, <laughs> obviously put up his, his bulldog. Yeah, yeah that was that was a, I don't know, that was like yeah. a dumb post. Maybe, like, maybe we'll see cringe, more of that also. Like, yeah. <laughs> Biggie just looks so weird then. He, he it was I don't know. He was he was I had a football game in my room and that's why I thought it was funny because he kept on hearing the noises and like looking at it and like what's going on. But yeah. Yeah, we gotta get some better. We yeah, get some better we're gonna turn into a dog podcast. Like, in no a lot time. of people are gonna be asking for that more, Biggie. 